This morning, we're going to continue our series in Proverbs. And uh, last week, we talked about money. We're going to continue to do that this week. Part two, we'll finish up that this week now. So you can put that slide up and we can see where we've been. Here we are on week seven now, Handle Money Well. So just to review last week, so we are all caught up on where we've been last week. Um, as I said, it's a lot of us don't like to talk about money in church. It's, as soon as you hear the word money in church, you think, oh, they're going to start asking me for my money. They're after my money. Um, and, and, I would, and what I wanted to say last week and I think is really important is that this is not about what God wants from you. This is about what God wants for you. God wants something for you in the area of your finance, finances, and that is he wants you to have financial peace. The Bible talks about money nonstop. It's, on, it's like everywhere in the Bible, this idea of money and your treasure and your wealth and what are you doing with it. Um, and it affects many, many areas of life, including your walk with God. Jesus said that where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So obviously, this is an important thing. The main thrust of the Bible when it comes to money is instruction on how to manage it well, how to be a good steward of what God has entrusted to you, and to be exceptionally generous. So Proverbs has a lot to say about this. It's a very practical book and has some very practical wisdom in terms of how we manage money well. Uh, so last week we talked about the first point, which is get on a budget. Get on a budget. Know the state of your flocks. Uh, you gotta, you know, your budget is is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went, right? And uh, and so many of us are in that second category where we're just, oh my goodness, what happened to all the money? We need to keep track. We need, to be, we need to tell our money where to go. We need to be on a budget. It's so important. Um, assigning every dollar that comes into our household a place to go. Deciding beforehand and then sticking with it. Uh, and then we said we need to stay out of debt as well. The borrower is slave to the lender. The Bible always discourages indebtedness. It's not necessarily sin to go into debt, but always it's always depicted as an unwise thing to do, to go into debt, um, especially if you're using credit cards and other kinds of bad debt. Um, indebtedness enslaves you to the lender. It becomes chains that restrict your freedom and restrict your ability to be generous, which is what God ultimately wants us to do with money. And I shared some of my own personal experience about indebtedness and getting out of debt. And man, there's an incredible feeling when you are free from debt. And God wants us to be free. Freedom is, it's been a theme this morning, freedom. And God wants us to be free. Uh, he doesn't want us to be enslaved to anything except to be enslaved to Him. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters, Matthew 6, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. So, Get out of debt and stay out of debt. And I promise four more points in part two. I've cut it down to three more points to save time. Uh, three, four, five, here we go. Number three this morning is prioritize giving. Prioritize giving. There's no question that a big theme over and over again in God's Word is to give generously. God wants us to give compassionately to the poor, we talked about that a few weeks ago in our sermon on show compassion. And God also wants us to give consistently to Him, to His kingdom, to the local church. One of the words that keeps appearing in the Scriptures is the word first fruits. 
And what is that all about? Let's read Proverbs 3, verses 9 to 10. It says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with, with, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. So, honor God by giving your first fruits to Him, and He will bless your socks off. That's what this is saying. Give God your first fruits. What does that mean? The first fruits means the first and best in the Old Testament context when this was written, the first and best of your harvest was to be dedicated to God. Now, I said a few a few sermons back, I don't remember exactly when, that I used to pick apples a lot uh, when I was growing up. Worked 10 summers on, a, on an orchard, an orchard, a fruit farm in the valley. We did apples, but we also actually spent most of our time in the summer picking peaches. This, this farm had a huge peach operation, and uh, it was known for growing peaches, so we, we did a lot of picking peaches, and we did a lot of packing of peaches. And you'd go home at the end of the day, and you'd be covered in peach fuzz, and you'd be like, ah, and it was awful. And then you'd lay down at night, and you'd, you'd go to sleep and you dream of picking peaches. It was horrible. You never got a break. Um, but anyway, uh, we would pick peaches and we would pack peaches. And when we pack peaches, you know, you have your grade A peaches, which are the great ones, and then you have your grade B peaches, which, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, we call them the coals, which, you know, people would, would buy in bulk to make jam and stuff like that. And then you'd have, we, we had the uh, compost peaches, or we called, them, called it the chicken bucket because there's chickens and we'd feed them to the chickens. Those were the ones that were just no good for anything. Um, but we also had a fourth grade of peaches when we, were, when we were packing peaches, and they were called the peat peaches. Anyone ever heard of Pete's Fruitique? Yeah. Okay, so Pete's Fruitique and Halifax, Pete Luckett had this, I don't know if he still has it, but this great operation in the city where he sold the very best fruit that you could find. And we supplied his peaches. And Pete wanted, he was, said, I will pay whatever it takes to get the biggest, best, the roundest, the right color, zero blemishes. Like, and so when we found those ones, you know, in a bag, oh, this is a Pete peach. You set that aside. And that went to Pete Fruitique, uh, to Pete, Pete Luckett, to Pete's Fruitique. <coughs> Pete peaches. And, um, and God instructed his people in the Old Testament so before you sell your produce, before you, you know, uh, you slaughter your animals and eat them, before you, you know, take your stuff to market, whatever you do, take a portion, take the best stuff, the peat peaches, and dedicate them to me. So this is the Old Testament principle of tithing. 10%. A tithe means 10%. The first 10%, the first and best, the first fruits, the first and best 10%. Uh, was given to the work of the Lord. And literally in the Old Testament, they would take their grain or whatever it was that they were producing and they would take it and give it at, at the temple, to the temple, and then that would be used to supply food and income for uh, the Levites and the priests who worked there. And they were also the civil servants and whatnot. So they weren't out in the fields. They needed to be provided for as part of God's system. And so that's what they did. And, uh, and so when we read that, we go, okay, yeah, that's clear instruction. Um, honor the Lord with your wealth, the first fruits. This is the tithe. This was God's system that he had set up. Now, the question, of course, is, is this still applicable in the New Testament? We always wonder, is tithing still a thing that we should do? In New, uh, we're the church. We're not the temple. Um, we're, new, we're Christians. We're not Jews. Uh, we're in the we're in the new covenant. We're not under the old covenant, so we're off the hook, right? Right? All right. Okay. Well, then let's just go with the New Testament. Then let's follow the teachings of Jesus on this. What does Jesus say to do? Jesus says, "Sell all your possessions and give to the poor." 
Oh, that's a bit extreme, Jesus. All right, well, how about, let's just follow what the first Christians did, right? Because, so what did the first Christians do? Acts 2 says they sold everything they owned, and they shared all the money equally with one another. Oh, wow, hold on a second. Um, so the New Testament doesn't tell us to give less. It tells us to give more. The New Testament commandment isn't 10%. It's 100%. Wow. Seriously, yeah, that's what it says. Now, I don't hear many people saying we must in our context necessarily do that. Of course, we should 100% of our life should be committed to the Lord. It doesn't mean that we should give 100% of our finances to the church or whatever. Um, most Christians would say that the 10% standard that God set up in the Old Testament is still a good principle. It's not a commandment. We don't have to. It's not like you're sinning if you don't tithe. Uh, but we would say that this is a good Old Testament principle that we can apply to the New Testament church and, um, and carry over. Jesus said to the Pharisees, they were, they, were very, you know, they were legalists and they were doing all kinds of rotten stuff. And Jesus said, you tithe even the little, you know, your dill and your mint and all these little spices. You tithe even that. Um, but you don't care about the poor, you know? And then what did Jesus say to them? He said, don't neglect the poor, but also don't neglect the tithe. He didn't say not to tithe and just give to the poor. He encouraged them to continue tithing. So obviously Jesus wasn't opposed to the tithe. Um, he encouraged them to do that. And so it's a good Old Testament principle that I think, and many people would agree with me, should be applied to, to us as the church. Um, that the first 10% of our income should be committed to the Lord and expressed through giving to your local church. Now, I said this morning that I wasn't here going to say that we need your money, and that's not what this is about. Because I think that God wants for you to experience financial peace, and part of that is through the joy of giving. Uh, Andy Stanley has done a lot of t teaching on this, and uh, he talks about this idea of give, save, live. Give, save, live. And, and I, what he says is we need to give 10%, our first 10% we need to give to our local church or to the ministry, to the work of the Lord as a, as a starting point. Then save 10% after that. So step one, give 10%. Step two, save 10%. And then step three, live off of 80% of what you bring in to your household. Now, I think this is a, this is a really good, wise biblical principle, and we're going to talk more about the, the save and the live part in a minute when I get to the next points. Uh, but the world often has this backwards, right? The world does this in a reverse order. The world says, okay, I'm going to get 100% of my income, and I'm going to live off of that. I'm gonna, first, I'm going to pay all my bills, and then I'm going to go and get groceries, and then I'm going to go and get the few things that I've been wanting to pick up. And, uh, and then, if I have any left over, I'll save it. Or maybe I've got some savings set up and that's happening automatically. That's good. A lot of people don't. So it's just, well, if I can save some, I will. And a lot of times you never get around to saving any because you don't have anything left over. Uh, but then even less, fewer people get to the give part, right? Well, you know, I've, I've spent all this money and I've saved a little bit. And I, you know, if I have anything left over at all after all that's said and done, then maybe I'll help out someone who's in need or I'll give to that charity or I'll put five dollars in the collection plate or something um, and uh, and that's and I'll do my part that way but a lot of people never get to the give part because they don't have anything left over because they start with I'm gonna spend hundred percent of my income or sometimes they spend hundred and ten percent or hundred and twenty percent of their income to live and that's why they go into debt and so 
uh, what, what the Bible teaches and what Proverbs teaches and what God teaches is this backwards from the cultural norm, right? It's, it's, it's give first, save second, and then live off of what you have left over. Um, and hey, you know what? It's, you, still get to live, you still get to keep 80%. Uh, to live. That's pretty good, right? Uh, it's still very... I mean, Jesus said give 100%, and we're saying, well, I want to keep 80 for myself, and well, okay. It's, it's, it could be worse, right? Um, it's, here's the thing. This is what, what the Bible teaches is backwards from the cultural norm. But guess what? It's okay to be different. God wants us to be different. You know, in the world's mindset, you know, you go to Costco and you spend 100 bucks at Costco, that is like, you got to weigh good at Costco if you only spend 100 bucks at Costco, right? I mean, that, you, that's awesome. Go reward yourself with one of those $1 hot dogs. I keep talking about those hot dogs. i got to get to Costco and get one of those. Um, I love those Costco hot dogs. They're so big, and they're only a dollar. It's amazing. Um, <laughs> this portion of the sermon sponsored by Costco. <laughs> Earlier, it was sponsored by the hairdresser in Bible Hill. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, but so, you know, you spend 100 bucks at Costco, and you're all right, we got away good, but then you put $100 in the offering plate, and, and people think you're nuts. What are you doing giving 100 bucks to the church? You were wasting your money for. It's right, the world has got this all messed up and confused in, our mind, in their minds. But the kingdom of God is different. The kingdom of God is upside down. It's backwards from the, from the world's way of thinking. It's an upside down kingdom. It turns the ideas of the world on their head. The last shall be first, and the first shall be last, and the weak shall be strong, and, 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 and uh, generosity is wealth, and giving away money is how you experience financial peace. All these sorts of things. Honor God with your first fruits, and your barns will be filled, and your vats will be overflowing. It's okay to be different. It's good to be different for the sake of the kingdom of God. So, prioritize giving. Prioritize giving. That first 10%, the first fruits, the first and best, the peat peaches, that's what we got to de dedicate to the Lord. So prioritize giving not as an afterthought, but as the first thing. So get on a budget and stay out of debt so you can have freedom. And then include in your budget at least 10% of your income committed to giving to God's kingdom. So that's point three. Prioritize giving. Then what else does Proverbs say? Give, save, live. Save for the future. Proverbs 21.20 says, There is desirable treasure and olive oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish person devours all he has. A foolish person spends it as fast as they make it. Don't do that. There is wisdom in saving money, saving for future difficulties, saving for contingencies, saving for an emergency fund, saving for a rainy day. Remember in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis, uh, Joseph was in Egypt, and God gave Pharaoh this dream. And the dream was that there was these skinny cows and these fat cows. Have you seen amazing uh, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat? There's that great song about it, um, the skinny cows and the fat cows. And uh, but uh, the you know the skinny cows were representing seven years of famine that were going to happen, and the fat cows were seven years of, of uh, surplus. And uh, they were going to have these great seven years, the fat cows. But then there was going to be seven years with skinny cows of, of drought and famine. And the message to Pharaoh through Joseph, the interpreter of this dream, and through, was, hey, we need to prepare for the seven years of famine. 
It's good to take these seven years of surplus and save and be ready for when the difficulties come. And, and, and that's exactly what they did, and that's exactly what happened. So um, emergencies are going to come, and it's wise to be prepared. If you learn to save money, then when crises happen, you don't need to go into debt to pay for them, and all these sorts of things. Uh, it says in, in, in Proverbs thirteen sixteen, a wise man thinks ahead. A fool doesn't, and even brags about it. And I like what Proverbs 30 says. Four things on earth are small, yet they are extremely wise. And it goes and lists four different animals, but the first one it says is ants. Ants are creatures of little strength, yet they store up food in the summer. Extremely wise, it says. Extremely wise. To save some money for the future. Don't hoard up wealth. The Bible is also really clear about that. It's not about storing up treasures for ourselves. That's not what it's about. But there is this idea that we need to save some to, to be ready for when difficulties come, to plan for the future. This is biblical wisdom. You know, some folks, their only retirement plan is to win the lottery. You know, and, and it says in Proverbs 13, it says this, wealth from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappears. Wealth from hard work grows over time. The Bible's plan for financial peace is practical. It's slow. It's not the microwave method. It's the slow cooker method. And it's obvious. It's work hard, budget, stay out of debt, prioritize giving, set some aside for emergencies, and... Last of all, live within your means. This is really key. Proverbs 15, 27, the greedy bring ruin to their households. I had a chat last uh, Sunday after church with uh, someone who was here and heard the message, and uh, I never asked the permission to share this, but I won't tell their name. Anyway, we had a great chat, and they said the biggest thing that um, impacted them and this idea of, of uh, how we handle finances was the word enough. Enough. Being able to come to the place where they recognize that we have enough. We don't need more. Right? And this person was sharing that there's people that have all these sort of expectations on them that they should maybe live in a nicer home or have a nicer vehicle or all these things because of their position in life or whatever. And... They say, you know what, we're just resisting that pressure that we feel because we have enough. We don't need more. Why do we need to live in a nicer house? Why do we need to have a bigger or fancier car? Or why do we need to have this or that? We don't need that. We're choosing to live simply. We're choosing to be satisfied with what God has given us. And that gives us the freedom to, uh, to be more generous. And what, man, can you imagine if all of us could come to that place and just say, Lord, I have enough. Enough. I've got enough. I don't need to have the stuff. I don't need to have the status. I don't need to have the lifestyle the world is trying to sell me. When we have Jesus Christ, when we have Jesus, we have enough. We have peace. We have contentment in Him. Our identity isn't wrapped up in our belongings or our bank account or anything that the world offers. It's wrapped up in Jesus of Nazareth, who He is and who He says I am when I join my life to Him. Instead of working like crazy and striving for more and more and trying to make more money, just come to Jesus. 
says, come to him. He says, he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden and stressed out and worried and under financial stress, and I will give you rest. Isn't he enough? When we do that, we find it easier to live within our means. We stop spending 100% or 120% of our income in order to maintain a lifestyle, and we learn to live on 90%, 80%, maybe even less. Wouldn't it be cool? You know, we talk about tithes and offerings. You know, some people say, well, I, I can't give a tithe, but I'm just, so I'm just going to give an offering. I can't give 10%, so I'm just going to give an offering. You know, an offering in biblical terminology is not less than 10%. An offering is what you give in addition to the tithe. It's like 10% plus an offering. The 10% is the base minimum. Um, and so, uh, yeah, imagine if we could give 12%, 15%, 20%, 30%. Rick Warren, I, said, I mentioned a quote from him last week. Um, you know, he has sold this book, the, the Purpose Driven Life, and millions of copies or whatever, and he's made tons and tons of money. And, uh, and he said that his tithe is now, I think, like 90%. So he actually only keep, lives off of 10% and tithes 90%, something like that. Crazy. He says, every year we increase our tithe by a little bit. Even if we don't, haven't made more money, we just continue to increase our tithe. Um, and like, man, like that's amazing. Now, I know most of us can't do that sort of thing. But what if we could? Um, what if we were so good at managing our finances and so content with living simply that we could just continue to give in crazy radical ways? Imagine the way the world would change. Wouldn't it be awesome if all of us stopped wasting money, stopped paying interest to the bank, and instead became great managers of money if we all had financial peace and stability so that we could all become radically generous? The world way versus the Jesus way. The world way says make lots of money so you can spend money on the things that make you happy and be the king of your castle and dress to impress and drive in style and get all the latest stuff. In this you will find pleasure. And the Jesus way says, no, manage money well so you can spend less of it on yourself and give more of it away. In generosity you will find joy. It's okay to be different. It's okay to be different. It's good. All the stuff in this world that you've collected over the years is going to stay here when you leave. It says in Job, Job says, Naked I came into the world and naked I'm going to leave. Proverbs 11.4 says, Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Righteousness, that is, that comes through the blood of Christ applied to our lives by the grace of God through faith. When a person stands before God, when they die, and they give account to the Lord for their life, the first question that God is going to ask is, do you know my son? Do you know Jesus? If that person has been saved has been born again, has the righteousness of Christ applied to their life through faith, then that's enough. They're in. And if they haven't, that's the end of the conversation. But if you make it to a second question, 
Because you do know Jesus. The second question will be, now, my dear child, what have you done with the time, the talents, and the treasure that I entrusted to you? And when you read Matthew chapter 25, you get this image of what's going to happen at the judgment. And it's going to be, how did you care for the poor? How did you care for the least of these? How generous were you with these things that I've entrusted to you? Was I faithful to do what God asked me to do? Or did I spend my time, my talents, and my treasure on making my life more comfortable, getting myself more attention, and building up my own kingdom instead of the kingdom of God? We take nothing from this world with us into the afterlife, except for one thing. Does anyone know what the one thing that we can take, the one thing that we will see in this world that we will see again in heaven? Does anyone know? It's people. It's people. The people in your life who come to know Jesus Christ. That's the only physical thing in this world that you're going to see again in heaven. So the question is, that we should be asking ourselves all the time is, in all areas of my life, how can I be spending my life and my energy and, and all the things that I have to help impact eternity, to help get more people into heaven with me? How can I manage, give, invest? Next slide, please. Manage, give, invest, and spend money, for example. Money, one area of life, over the course of my life to impact eternity. When my life is over, I want to I enter heaven and I want to have the experience of people coming up and shaking my hand and saying, thank you. Thank you for what? Thank you because you're part of the reason I'm here. You're part of the reason I'm here. Maybe it's something that we said to someone to help them come to Christ, but maybe it was that missionary that we supported. You gave money to support that missionary. And that missionary led me to Christ. Thank you. Or you tithed to that local church for years. And that's where I came to know Jesus. That's where I fell in love with Christ. And I went out and I led other people to Christ as a result of that. Thank you for being part of that. You're part of the reason I'm here. Thank you. Wouldn't that be awesome if we could say that? So let's be radically generous for the sake of the gospel. Let's manage money well so that we can be part of what God is doing because that's what really matters. You know, radical generosity, the world says, you know, that's crazy, but it's really not a crazy response to what God has done for us. Radical generosity is actually a very reasonable response to the radical generosity that God has shown us. The gospel is a true story of radical generosity. It's all about God doing the unthinkable. Giving up everything. Leaving the splendor of heaven. Coming and taking on flesh and dwelling among us. And then suffering on the cross and dying for us. He gave us everything. For God so loved the world that He gave. For God so loved the world, He gave. He was generous. 
He loved us so much that He showed us generosity. And what did He give us Himself? He gave His Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. Amen. Thank You, Lord. God, we thank You so much. We bow in Your presence right now, Lord, just saying thank You, thank You, thank You that You were willing to give up so much for us, Lord. Help us, Lord, as we handle the things of this world, things that ultimately belong to You, Lord. Help us to be faithful to You, to be wise with those things, Lord, to stop focusing so much on ourselves and our comfort and our and luxury and all these things. Lord, we are among the richest people in the world here in Canada, Lord. We are in the 1%. Father, forgive us of our greed. Set us free from the the pressure to to have a status and to have all these things. God, that we can live simply so that we can invest more in people, people who need you, people who are hurting, so that one day we can see them in heaven. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.